Have you ever seen one of those hoarding shows? A person that has literally created their own prison with junk and boxes and stuff. And it's really a sickness. And the question is, why do they do it? And the reason is they're afraid to let anything go. Well, James in James chapter 5 is going to deal with moth and rust. And he's going to warn people who have been creating injustice and hoarding for themselves. And he's going to encourage the church who suffered injustice. Maybe you're on either side of this coin. Maybe you've been hoarding stuff or maybe you've suffered injustice and you need a word of encouragement from the Lord. Well, the first part of James 5 will do just that for us. And it's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. going to read the full text together. This is verses one through six, moth and rust. James writes, come now, you who come now, you rich weep and howl, James 5, 1, for your miseries, which are coming upon you. Your riches, James 5, 2, have rotted and your garments have become moth eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth, led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of judgment. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. And just for a little bit of encouragement at the end for some context, be patient, verse 7, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late or latter rains. May the Lord write his word upon our hearts. Somebody handed me a story that I think is apropos. And as uh, you turn to Matthew 6, let me share the story. An American investment banker was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. The American complimented the Mexican on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The Mexican replied, only a little while. The American then asked, why didn't he stay out longer and catch more fish? The Mexican said he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. The American then asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? The Mexican fisherman said, I sleep late. I fish a little, play with my children, take siestas with my wife, Maria, stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life. The American scoffed. He said, I'm a Harvard MBA and I could help you. You should spend more time fishing and with the proceeds, you could buy a bigger boat. With the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, you would have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you would sell directly to a processor, eventually opening your own cannery. You would control the product, the processing and the distribution. You would need to leave this small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City, then to L.A., and eventually to New York City, where you will run your expanding enterprise. The Mexican fisherman said, but how long will this all take? 
To which the American replied, about 15 to 20 years. But what then, asked the Mexican? Well, the American laughed and said, well, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO, sell your company stock to the public, and become very rich, and you would make millions. Millions? Then what? The American said, well, here's the best part. Then you would retire, move to a small coastal fishing village (laughs) where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take siestas with your wife, Maria. Then you could stroll to the village in the evenings where you could sip wine and play guitar with your amigos. Yeah. At the outset of James chapter 5, I think you guys can see the serious nature by which James brings the thoughts. And this is an important section, but it's important to understand something about context and the spectrum or the lens by which you see these verses. These verses are written in what's called an Old Testament prophetic warning style. And oftentimes when passages of the Bible are read by Christians or Israel of old, the direct audience may be the Jewish nation or the believing church, but the persons being addressed may not be us or the believing church. Let me explain. Sometimes God will address some rich uh, persecutors of the church, landowners and so forth, But his intent is not so much against the church, but to give the church hope that though they've been suffering and persecuted at the hands of the wealthy who are manipulating them, God knows, God cares, and eventually God will judge. So in some ways, some portions of the Bible are addressed to people who may not even read them because they're there for the encouragement of us who need to know that God is just and vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And this would uh, move out to different areas of our lives. It might not just be financially where someone maybe has wronged you, withheld your pay, fired you for some unjust reason, but it could be in other areas of your life as well where someone's wronged you, hurt you, and you're watching that person maybe from a distance and wondering, is there ever going to be justice? Is there ever going to be a time when the Lord repays that person for the wrong Uh, that they have perpetrated? And the answer is yes. That's why verse 7, which we'll touch on next Sunday, says, be patient as you wait for the day of the Lord. So we need to be careful when we address this topic because this topic is not so much a polemic against the rich. It's a warning for people who make wealth in the wrong way and use it in the wrong way. It's about people who make wealth with injustice, backroom deals, uh, manipulating on the backs of other people, do everything to get the next dollar. They, They don't care who they have to sacrifice so that they can get their mansion and their yacht. And all the while, God says, if you're doing that, if you're getting unjust gain, which the Bible warns up and coming church leaders, those who are going to enter into the pastorate and as an elder, not to be a lover of unjust gain or sordid gain. This is the idea. It's not the idea that you shouldn't be working hard. It's not the idea that God doesn't want to bless you and give give you the ability to make wealth. It is not the idea that if you own a company, you should just settle for mediocrity. Or if you're an employee of a company, you should just kind of squeak by. No, you should be the best you can be. But in the end, it is about how you view money, how you make money, how you view money, and how you use money. 
It's been said that money can be a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And for many people in our world, if you really were to pull back the veil, if you were to take a microphone to a local college or university and put it into a young college student's face and say, what's your goal for the next 50 years? What do you think the response would be? Oh, I want to do everything I can to glorify Jesus Christ and extend his kingdom. I would be shocked. I'd drop the microphone if that happened. But I think most people are going to respond. I'd like to be rich and I'd like to be famous. And the question is why? You guys see the same stories that I do. How well together do the rich and famous actually have it? And in this room right now, we as Americans are in the top 5% of worldly wealth. So we have to be careful that we don't think that this is not about us potentially as well. With the qualification that we need to be careful that we don't become judge and jury of others who are doing well. Or that we don't have some form of disdain for the person who's just a little higher up on the food chain than us. Because if we do that, we'll become legalistic, we'll become judge, judges with evil motives, and then we'll be in trouble. So we have to see the text properly. Here's what's going on historically before we read the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. There was really not a middle class back in the day. You were either wealthy or you were poor. A day laborer literally lived day to day. Some of you could say right now, if we interviewed you, our family lives paycheck to paycheck. If your boss were to cut you a check and there was insufficient funds or he said the, the company's not doing well, I can't pay you this week, some of you would be in a tough spot. Some of you even write checks maybe against a check that's going to go into your account and you know if those funds don't come in, you're in trouble. Well, for a day laborer back in this time of James and Jesus, here's what would happen. He literally was living day to day and he had no means to save and there was very little means of credit back in the day. So if you were a day laborer, and let's say you worked 10 to 12 hours in a field for a landowner, a wealthy landowner, and at the end of the day, you were looking for your pay and the landowner said, I'm not gonna pay you or I don't have it or use some excuse. You would have to go home Walk through the door, look at your wife, look at your family and everybody else you were caring for with your head hung to the ground and say, I've got nothing. There'd be no dinner that night. In fact, the common day laborer back in this time would be living literally on the verge of starvation. That's the historical context. And so when James addresses wealthy landowners here who are holding back pay and they had all the power an interesting tidbit when you do a little research of the time is that a lot of the wealthy landowners were actually the Sadducees. They were religious leaders of the day who had power over the people. And oftentimes under the umbrella of religiosity, they were building their own kingdoms and devastating the impoverished and the day laborer. And so that's the historical backdrop of James 5. So that we don't get the idea that James is just broad brushing anybody who's wealthy or making money or doing well. No, that's not the case. If you're doing well, if your company's doing well, if you're doing well as an employee, thank God. But think about, think about the way that you use your wealth. Are you giving to try to grow the kingdom of God? Well, James uh, may have been standing on a day when Jesus preached the famous Sermon on the Mount. If you pick up Matthew 6 with me in verse 19, here's Jesus's words. Keep in mind, James did not become a believer until after the resurrection. 
He did not believe in his half-brother Jesus until after he was raised from the dead. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I'd encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California, or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future. Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. Thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. Well, James uh, may have been standing on a day when Jesus preached the famous Sermon on the Mount. If you pick up Matthew 6 with me in verse 19, here's Jesus's words. Keep in mind, James did not become a believer until after the resurrection. He did not believe in his half-brother Jesus until after he was raised from the dead. So it may well be that James heard this sermon. He may have heard a lot of things that Jesus taught. And you're going to see that in the section we just read, there's things that are very similar to what Jesus taught right here. Jesus says, Matthew 6, 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Some of you may be wondering, how do you store up treasure in heaven? I've never seen heaven. I've never been to heaven. I don't know a lot of stuff about heaven. Heaven is a representation of God and his kingdom. And every time you do something, as Jesus said, to the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. And in some ways, you add to your crown. You store up treasures in heaven because you're extending a kingdom that will never end, that will never die, that will never corrode, that will never wear away, that will never have a change of leadership or a coup or something of that nature, something that will be stable forever. Where are you making your investments? Jesus used parables about investments to talk about things that will last and really what our priorities are. For many people, we have to admit that money has become their God. And so Jesus is addressing this. And he says, for where your treasure is, 21, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one, there is no exception, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not worth much more than they? And sometimes we wonder, sometimes, you know, we have sleepless nights, if you turn back to the book of James, wondering if God's really going to take care for us. This, in many ways, is a trust issue. And when it comes to how we disperse or give out what God gives to us, it comes down to a trust issue, and it does come down to what kingdom we are actually building. James opens the section with the phrase, come now, James 5.1, and that'll sound familiar to a lot of you who heard, heard Pastor John deal with the last section of James 4. Notice the same opening phrase is in James 4.13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, James 4.13, we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. The big omission, the big thing that's left out in this particular passage is that these folks have omitted God and his will for their lives. How many evangelical Christians do you think get married, move to a certain location, start a business, make purchases, make major life decisions without any regard to the will of God and the extension of his kingdom? I would say to you, it's rampant in the Christian church. And this is a challenge for all of us who say we want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The question becomes, how do we build that kingdom? What does that look like on a Monday afternoon as much as it does on a Sunday morning? Well, James says, come now, you rich, weep. The word weep there is to sob, wail aloud, a uh, sign of pain. And how, it's a, literally in the Greek, it's a shriek for your miseries which are coming upon you. Now, if we were to imagine that the church that James addresses was filled with a lot of common day laborers, a lot of poor, impoverished people, you could understand how this would encourage them. Earlier in James' letter, they heard James say they were to consider it all joy when they encountered various trials. And some of the poor people might say, I'm in a trial right now. This wealthy landowner I work for, you never know if he's going to pay you at the end of the day or not. And I've had to go to court. And oftentimes when I go to court to try to get my proper pay, he knows the judge and he's bought off the judge or they're buddies. What do I do in this kind of situation? God, are you hearing my prayer? You tell me I'm going to consider it all joy. But how can I do that when this guy's getting away with it? And James writes James chapter five to say he's not. You need to be patient because there's going to be a day when God deals with those who have stepped on the backs of others to build their own kingdom. Our attitude toward the poor is important to God, but we need to understand that when people are manipulating and it seems they've gotten away with it, nobody's getting away with anything. A day of judgment is coming and God's scales will be true. Proverbs 14, 20 through 22 says, the poor is hated even by his neighbor, but those who love the rich are many. He who despises his neighbor sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. Will they not go astray who devise evil? But kindness and truth will be to those who devise good. In the last uh, couple of months, I've been sharing with you stories from our benevolence fund. 
We helped a, a woman who was in distress build, excuse me, uh, lay her mother to rest. She had no money to do the memorial service and you guys paid for that through the Benevolence Fund. We have families that come here week in and week out. We give them gift cards for groceries. We pay light bills. When we know someone's genuinely poor, they're a widow or a widower, they just don't have the means, they've done everything they can. There's a lot of stories I could share with you guys about what you do when you give Money does go to help the poor. We're helping missionaries on the mission field. There are things that we're doing right here from Corona. As we give to the kingdom of God, we're helping people hear the gospel in different places and so forth. I heard of a story of natives of a third world country who were given a sundial. They were thrilled as they learned how to tell time by observing the shadow of the sun on the face of the sundial. As days passed, this amazing instrument attracted such interest that the leaders of the tribe decided that the sundial deserved some sort of worship. To the delight of the leaders, large crowds gathered to worship. However, this created a problem. They now feared for the safety of this remarkable device. It was decided that a beautiful building be erected to house it. This, they thought, would protect it from any would-be thief. You guys see where this is going, don't you? The project was completed. A formal celebration was announced. As thousands gathered, the leaders stood before the sundial, at which time they made a startling discovery. The sundial, the center of attraction, was now useless. Rather than admit their error, the leaders decided to preserve it as a shrine for future generations, thus preserving their own dignity. Christina Onassis said, happiness is not based on money. The best proof of that is my family. Oftentimes we see well-to-do families and when we really pull back the veil or we hear the story years later, it's not pretty. Comedian Richard Pryor was critically burned in an accident in 1980. The accident was caused by his partaking of crack cocaine out of a crack pipe. He described that his addiction had gotten so bad that he sat in a room, isolated himself, and it got so bad that his crack cocaine pipe began to speak to him. He said, you know you're in trouble when your crack cocaine pipe begins to speak to you. Later, he appeared on the Johnny Carson show and he shared the following words. He said, when you're seriously ill, money isn't important. All that I could think of was to call on God. I didn't call the Bank of America one time, close quote. And in the day of trouble, money will not deliver. We have many, many verses in Scripture that say riches will not deliver on the day of judgment. God does care about our attitudes and he cares about our actions. We've talked about the theme verse of James is that we're to be doers of the word and not merely hearers only. We talked about James 1.27, that true and undefiled religion is this in the sight of our God and Father, to help orphans and widows in their distress and to keep ourselves unstained from the world. I know the book of James is tough. I know it's in our kitchen. But this is how change comes. And I've had many of you come up to me and say, man, the book of James. And we do, yeah, the book of James. Remember we called the book of James the book of Frank? Frankly, this is what James says to us, right? And when we hear it and we respond to it, we're all the better. And so in the NIV, he says, listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. This is a prophetic woe or lament common in the Old Testament. If you're interested to see some of these, write down Isaiah 10, 5, 28, 1 of Isaiah. 
You could read Isaiah chapters 5, 13, 15, and 34. If you've ever studied the book of Isaiah, you know that there's an oracle against this nation, an oracle against that nation, an oracle against this leader. And there are prophetic woes. And they're an indictment against a leader who's manipulated the people of Israel or persecuted the people or killed them or been merciless, had no pity or compassion. And God addresses these world leaders and basically says, I will preside over your funeral. This is a burst of righteous indignation. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I'd encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California Or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future. Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. Thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.